questions and answers. The letter to the Philippian church is known as a letter of joy. There is so much in this short epistle. Do you count it all joy in every circumstance? You're tuned to Evidence and Answers with your host, Pat Zucrin. Pat is an author, teacher, and international speaker in the arena of Christian apologetics, the defense of the Christian faith. In today's broadcast, we will hear our host, Pat Zucrin, as he shares a wonderful study right there in the book of Philippians, taken from chapter 1. If you're unable to hear this entire message, all of our broadcasts are available on our website. That's evidenceandanswers.org. Now here's Pat with part two. Well, you know, I looked at her and I said, that's what you're living for. If that's your primary focus, if your focus is on your husband coming home saying, honey, you look like a model. You're stunning. Oh, this food is so great. Thank you for cooking every single day. Oh, man, the door, I'll fix the door right now. Whatever you want. If that's what you're looking for, you're going to get depressed real quick. You're not serving your husband, first and foremost. You're serving who? The Lord. All right? And your efforts are what? Pleasing to the Lord. No matter what your husband may or may not say, you're serving first and foremost the Lord. And when you do so with all your heart, guess what? He says, well done. Well done. That's the voice you've got to be listening to. You know, husbands, many of us try to find our esteem and worth, what, at work? Right? Day in, day out, we're going to work. And many of us get discouraged when employees over there say, well, man, you can't do that. You can't do that. Oh, you're loud. You don't understand this. Oh, you're so incompetent, blah, 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 blah. All right? And we can either get angry, get upset, say, man, nobody appreciates me around here. Man, I go home. Kids don't greet me at home. They're busy on we or whatever. You know, as soon as I get home, wife says, fix the door. She doesn't appreciate all the hard work I put in. Well, If you're living to hear words of appreciation from your employees, if you're living to hear words of appreciation from your family members daily, okay, you're going to be a very upset individual, right? But when you come and you're at work and your focus is, you know what, I'm serving my employees, but yeah, first and foremost, I'm serving the Lord, and I'm doing it for the Lord, no matter what anyone else may say. When I come home to serve my wife and kids, I'm first and foremost serving the Lord. No matter whether they appreciate it or not, no matter if they know how hard I'm working day in and day out and how I'm being mistreated at work, even if they don't know, God knows. And when I'm doing it with all my heart to the Lord, God says, well done. And that's all that matters. If you're listening to that voice, if that's your focus, then that is what will bring you joy, even in some very difficult times. You know, those in ministry talked with many, you know, who say, you know, Every Sunday, I don't get to go to service. I'm back there with the kids. Nobody says thank you. Nobody even writes me a card. Nobody mentions my name from the pulpit. Well, if that's the focus, you know, if your focus is to get praise from others or to be appreciated by others, that's great. That's great if it happens. We should appreciate those serving the Lord. But if it doesn't come, all right, you got to be focused on the Lord saying, you know what? I'm teaching these kids. I'm serving in the church. Even if nobody knows that I come here on Saturdays and I mow the lawn. Even if nobody knows, God knows. And God says what? Well done, good and faithful servant. And I'm here to serve him, okay, by serving the people. But first and foremost, I'm serving him. When that's your focus, like Paul, all right, then you can really have unending joy, no matter how difficult the circumstances may be. So the right focus allows you to rise above your circumstances. 
Secondly, the right focus allows each one of us to rise above personal attacks. Paul says here in verse 15, Some indeed preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in any and every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in this I rejoice. Paul says, some preached out of goodwill, out of motivated by a love for Christ and a love for Paul, they became more bold to preach the gospel. Others, however, were saying, ah, hey, the key player is gone. Now it's time I can make a name for myself. All right, let me step into the limelight here. And they were using Christ to promote themselves. Paul says, some preach out of envy and jealousy. Now, the Greek word there for envy and jealousy means pain felt and intention to do harm, conceived at the sight of excellence and happiness in others. So when I see others being blessed, I don't feel joy for them. I feel a pain in there, and there's a desire for me to somehow tear them down. This desire is incapable of good, and it's always used, whenever it's used in the New Testament, with an evil intent and meaning. Selfish ambition there means a motive of self-interest, okay, a mercenary interest. It also means canvassing for public office, right? In other words, those who preach out of selfish ambition are out there meaning to make a name for themselves, using the name of Christ and the church to gain an audience, to gain a following, to gain praise of men, to get a following and promote themselves. Others, however, were motivated by a desire for actual revenge against Paul. Okay? So you notice here, it's not the Roman guards who are causing Paul a lot of distress, but those who claim to be Christians from within. And sometimes those can be the most hurtful kind of attacks. Now, you get to see a lot of the fun stuff I get to do on my job, and, of course, you know, and it's pr probably the greatest job that I have ever had. It's a joy to be there, and I get to do a ton of fun things. Okay? But you don't see week in, week out, all the hate mail I get from people listening to the radio show saying, you've blasphemed the Lord, you know, all these kinds of things. The critics who come up, you know, after messages I speak on saying, I'm so disappointed in you. You have no idea what you're talking about. The kind of criticisms that I get, there are, I think, two anti-Pat Zucaran conferences on this island that usually follow or proceed right before and right after our conferences. There are Guys denouncing me from the pulpit as false teachers. There are people who call themselves apologists on the island who really their desire is to promote themselves by digging up dirt on other Christian leaders and putting it on the Internet. And there's a couple people who have accused me of all kinds of heretical teachings. You know, one guy just wrote me and said, you know, I'm a universalist. I believe all religions are true and that everybody goes to heaven, and I've blasphemed the name of God, and I've blasphemed the gospel. And, well, obviously, he's never read any of my articles or listened to my show. He took one sentence out of context. But anyway, that's the kind of stuff 
that I get. And oftentimes I get really upset. You know, that's why I don't office at home. You know, I office at a church. That way, after reading some of those emails, I can go outside and say, hey, you know what this guy said? Uh, then after everyone listens and I calm down, then I can go back in and get to work. But that's the kind of things that Paul was facing. That's the kind of things many of us and those of you that serve in ministry face as well. Those attacks from those within the body can be some of the most hurtful. But the motives and schemes of men did not rob Paul of his joy in any way because the focus was not on himself, but on Christ. So even facing some very serious personal attacks, Paul could say, I rejoice. I rejoice. I remember several years ago, I was working in a Christian ministry, and the first boss, you know, Kirby, he's a great guy and was a great mentor to me, always encouraging. He's one of the guys that really encouraged me to go into radio and develop as a speaker and eventually as an author. Fantastic president. Not that great of an administrator, but hey, that's fine. We, we all do anything for Kirby. Great guy. Well, eventually he had to step down because of his incredibly busy schedule. And the second president that followed him, for some reason, there was some personal here, and I could never do anything right. And year after year, my evaluations were absolutely horrible. I mean, the kind of things he was writing up, constantly reminding me, you have no future as a speaker. You have no future as a writer. You have no future on radio. You're horrible at this. You mistreat staff. You abuse staff. You do this. You do that. You have no integrity. You're on and on and on and on and on. Publicly humiliating me every opportunity he had. If there was a meeting and I asked a question, it was always because I don't pay attention, I'm a, you know, ignorant, uh, accusing me of all kind of nasty stuff. And I remember sitting in Kirby's office going, hey, what's the deal? You know, and Kirby will say, hey, Pat, we love you. Hang in there. And you've got a tremendous calling from God. I see great things going for you. You hang in there. And I remember going to the coffee shop and meeting with my advisory team, and just being so uh, upset at the last evaluation that I got, filled with false accusations of horrific, horrific, horrific things that I was doing. I should be thrown in jail or something, you know? And I just sat there and I said, this guy's got something personal, and uh, and I can't stand this guy. I want to lock him up in a room and give him a, you know, give him the choke, you know, and trick him into the karate gym and, you know, uh, all these things I wanted to do to him. And the guy sat there and let me vent. And finally, when I was done, they said, gave some very wise words. You know, they said, Pat, you're not serving him. You're serving the Lord. And no matter what he may say, if you're doing God's will, focus on the Lord. All right? And they often had to remind me of that. They said, when you're serving there, you're not serving him first and foremost. You're serving the Lord. So through serving him, no matter how critical and negative he may be. Remember, you're ultimately serving the Lord who called you to be there. And that made things, even in that difficult, difficult situation, allowed me to have joy knowing that first and foremost, I was serving the Lord. And that the mission God had called us to was being accomplished. No matter how critical or how negative uh, our new boss may be, or how much he wanted to 
sabotage the work some of us were doing. And as long as we're doing it for the Lord, God continues to work. God continues to move. And to watch his hand work is such an exciting thing. When you're focused on men and their response to you, oh, it gets depressing. When you focus on the Lord and the things that he is doing, there can be joy even in the midst of a tough situation. And that's where Paul found himself. Though he was in jail, though there were others who called themselves Christians with false motives to gain an advantage of him and seek revenge in his helpless position, it didn't faze the guy because his focus was on the Lord. So our life application is this. When you find yourself dwelling in the world of negativity, get your focus on and keep it back on Christ. Hey, when you begin to see not your situation or the attacks, but on what God is doing in you, through you, and all around you, then your perspective begins to change. And that's what brings joy. That's what brought Paul joy, even in the midst of a very difficult, difficult time in his life. So the right focus brings you, allows you to rise above your circumstances. The right focus allows you to rise above personal attacks. And finally, Paul spells out what the right focus should be. This is the heartbeat of the book of Philippians. This is the theme of Philippians. This is to be the heartbeat of every believer. Paul says this, Yes, I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. So it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be ashamed, but that with full courage now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Paul hoped that through it all, he would honor Christ in life or in death. Paul doesn't say, it is my earnest hope, all right, that I will be vindicated. My reputation will be cleared. Everyone will see, all right, that these guys are wrong and I'm right. No, he says, through it all, whether I live or I die, my one focus is one thing, that Christ is honored. And verse 21 is the heartbeat. This is the theme of the book of Philippians, and it should be the heartbeat and theme of every believer in Christ. For me to live is Christ. For me to live is all about one thing, Jesus Christ. To die is gain. That's the theme verse, the heartbeat of Philippians. That's the key to the life of joy. Paul, focus guides his choices and the sacrifice he makes for the sake of Christ. Jesus said the same thing, right? Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God, and the rest of life falls right into place. And having the right focus is absolutely critical for every believer in Jesus Christ. Imagine if we had a church of believers in Christ who had the same focus. Man, what a dynamic church this would be. It'd be an irresistible community, one that people would want to readily be a part of. Rick Warren, pastor from Saddleback, states it well in the opening sentence of his best-selling book, The Purpose Driven Life. In the first sentence, he says it all. It's not about you. All right? The Christian life is not about you. He says, the purpose of your life is far greater than your own personal fulfillment, your peace of mind, or even your happiness. 
is far greater than your family, your career, or even your wildest dreams and ambitions. If you want to know why you are placed on this planet, you must begin with God. You were born by his purpose and for his purpose. Wonderfully stated there by Pastor Rick Warren. It's not about you. It's not about me. It's all about Jesus Christ. That was the focus of Paul's life. That's what Christ commanded us to do. If we want a life marked by unending joy, the focus is verse 21. For me to live is Christ, to die is gain. You know, one of the stops on the Japan Martyrs Tour, we get to go see the house of one of the heroes of Japan. And his name is Takashi Nagai. Uh, you can talk to our Japanese friends about him. He's one of the great heroes of Japan. He was a Christian doctor there. He grew up in a Shinto home and through his studies of the sciences became an atheist. Right? But then in his third year of college, he was there by his bedside when his mother passed away. And watching her death suddenly awoke him to the reality and really challenged him about his atheism. Then one of his Christian professors at his college there in Nagasaki gave him a book by one of the great scientists of modern times and defender of the Christian faith, Blaise Pascal. And he read the writings of Blaise Pascal, and his atheism was challenged, and arguments were being answered, and he began to open up to the message of Jesus Christ. Well, during his time in medical school, he boarded at the home of a Christian, and he did so because he wanted to see how Christians live, and through their life and testimony, he came to faith in Jesus Christ. Well, he was serving as a doctor during the time of World War II. And on, in April of 1945, an air raid on Nagasaki left hundreds of victims, and the hospital was completely overwhelmed. And so he spent his days and nights serving the wounded in the radiology department. He, his area was radiology. And because there was no film left anymore, he had to observed directly the wounded in the radiology department. And as a result, and just a few months later, he was diagnosed with leukemia from all the radiation his body had been taking. Well, he went home to his wife, Midori, and he spoke about his disease. And she said, whether we live or we die, it's for God's glory. And that's the model that they lived by and exemplified through the rest of their life. Well, just a few months later, in August, on that fateful day, the atomic bomb was dropped on Nagasaki, and he was at the basement of the hospital, and it collapsed on him. That's why he survived. But when he came out, he said he smelled sulfur everywhere, and the place literally looked like hell. And he spent the next two days leading the medical team he could find, and they're serving the wounded there in that bomb-stricken area of Nagasaki. Day in and day out, he worked for two days. On the third day, he was finally able to go home and look for his wife, and he found her body completely in ashes. And he knew it was her because the melted cross of Christ was there next to her bones and ashes. 
And he said after the shock, he prayed one thing. He said, thank you, Lord, that she died while she was praying. And he went back to Nagasaki and continued to serve there with his medical team. But eventually, radiation poisoning got to him. And two years later, he was completely paralyzed there. He spent the rest of his life there lying on his back. And though immobile, he knew he could do one thing. He could write. And he wrote about his experience in the atomic bomb and about the patients and the treatments that were there and the effects of the bomb. Much of what we know that happens after this kind of bombing comes from his writings. But they're paralyzed on his back in a three tatami room hut. That's a small little, smaller than your classroom bag, smaller than your office there. We go there and we visit. His house is still there. And we hear his story. Paralyzed on his back. There's his little house. Paralyzed on his back, he wrote 20 books, which became bestsellers throughout the world. And he, all the money he got, he donated back to the city of Nagasaki to build hospitals, children's homes, orphanages, and even a thousand cherry trees for the city of Nagasaki. And after the bombing, the citywide service was held at the Burn Church there in Urukami, Nagasaki. And there he was asked to give the message. And he gave, if you read that message, it is a powerful, powerful message that brought hope and joy and peace to the people of Nagasaki in a very, very difficult times. A writer wrote this. He said, after the Hiroshima bombing, there were fists and words of protest and anger around Hiroshima. But around Nagasaki, there was a strange peace and hands of prayer that seemed to fill the air of Nagasaki. And a lot of it is due to this man here, Takashi Nagai. And a lot of it was due to the testimony of Dr. Takashi Nagai and his wife, who lived out the motto of Paul, for me to live is Christ, to die is gain. Tremendous, powerful, powerful story there. Well, a life application is this. How do we develop and how do we gain the right focus then? Well, first, scripture memory is tremendously powerful. I would exhort every Christian to memorize Philippians 1, verse 21. For me to live is Christ, to die is gain. Memorize that verse. And our Lord's command, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. Two wonderful verses to memorize that should be the heartbeat of every believer in Christ. Secondly, each day I would begin with this prayer. Lord, be the center and focus of my life. Help me not to live for self, but to honor you this very day. Begin each day with that short prayer. Get our focus in the right place on Jesus Christ and serving him. And when you do, there will be a life marked by unending joy that allows you to rise above your circumstances, that allows you to rise above personal attacks, that will guide your decision and bring that everlasting joy when you have the right focus. As Paul stated, for me to live is Christ, 
to die is gain. When that is the focus of every believer in Christ here, and as a church, when that is our focus, man, it's going to be a powerful testimony for Christ, a wonderful fellowship anyone would want to be a part of. Let's pray that happens for us today. Thank you, Lord, for the wonderful testimony of Paul and the exhortation that he gives to us today. May we, as many Christians have throughout the ages and even today, live out those words faithfully. To live is all about Jesus Christ. To die is gain. May that be true of this church and everyone here. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining us here on Evidence and Answers Radio Broadcast. We hope you enjoyed Pat's show today. If you find this broadcast to be of a great value to you, please consider partnering with us. Evidence and Answers relies on generous support from you, our listeners. For the opportunity to donate and keep us on the air, you may do so right there online on the homepage of our website. That's evidenceandanswers.org. We have a wide variety of resources available to you, including articles, additional audio, and Pat's books. Be sure to share it with your family, friends, and your church. Join us again next time on the air or online as we provide reasons for faith and hope in Christ right here on Evidence and Answers. Yeah.